This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. This morning I want to begin by asking a question, and I want each person listening, if you will, to answer that question to yourself. Here's the question. When you look in the mirror, do you like the person you see? I can tell by the expressions on some of your faces here today that you've answered that question in one of three ways. One, some have said, yes, I like the person I see. Some have said, no, I don't like what I see. And the more decisive ones of you may have said, well, yes and no. You're not too sure whether you like that person or not. Well, let me ask the question again. When you look in the mirror, do you like the person you see? I did not ask, do you like everything you see about the person you're looking at? The person you see in your mind is the person you have already visualized before you looked in that mirror. You've already decided you would what you would look like before you looked at the mirror. You've already decided the kind of person you are, what you're capable of doing, what you're capable of being. Therefore, it really doesn't matter or make a lot of difference whether you look in the mirror or not. Because the only difference it will make is whether your hair is combed a certain way or whether your lipstick is on straight or whether everything you do to your face is proper or not. The real thing that you have seen has already been visualized before you ever looked into the mirror. This is what we call our self-image. For many years, we have relegated the idea of our self-image to psychologists or psychiatrists. We've said, let them handle all of that. We're saved by the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us. We're on the way to heaven. Praise God. Hallelujah. We don't need to be dealing with such things as a self-image. After all, doesn't the Bible say we ought to be dead to self? Well, yes. And yet the same Christian who says that is hung up, strung up, unusable to God, fretting about life, anxious about life, displeased with self, not really able to understand God's attitude toward himself or other people. It's so very important that we try to understand what the Bible teaches about this matter of self-image. If we're going to be the kind of people God intends us to be, then there must be a healthy, a biblical understanding of our emotions. Until a believer develops a wholesome self-image, then the attitude about God will never be right. Your attitude about God can never be right with a wrong attitude toward yourself. Because we project toward God the same kinds of feelings that we project toward ourselves and toward other people. We are all creatures of love. God made us that way. He made us to love and to be loved. Any person who feels unloved or unable to express love to someone else is suffering from a very painful disease of emotional anemia. These folks are truly miserable and more than likely are making people around them miserable also. 
They probably have some hostility on the inside because deep down inside, they're hungry for something they cannot attain or accomplish. When we think of love in the Bible, we usually think of that great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Or perhaps we think of what the Bible teaches about our need to love each other. We think maybe about the command of Jesus to love our enemies. But there's one aspect of love in the Bible that far too many of us have forgotten. It is something that Jesus talks about in several passages. The one which I want us to look at as our focal passage this morning is found in Matthew chapter 22. If you'll begin reading uh, with verse 34 and continue through verse 40, you'll see a secret of what we're talking about. Now, if I were to ask you the question this morning, who is it that you love the most? You'd probably start maybe with your marriage partner, your children, your parents, your family members. And then further out you go, the less enthusiastic you might be. Finally, you would dribble off to some people maybe you like, not people you really love. Jesus is saying here in this passage from Matthew that uh, a person's love life ought to reach out in three directions. One, love for the Lord thy God. Two, love your neighbor. And three, love yourself. Complete love, whole love, always reaches out in three directions. Upward to God, outward to others, and inward to self. Now, what I want us to deal with this morning for a few minutes is not loving God, not even loving other people but in loving ourselves. Most of us have some real problems here. There are some people who even take the Bible and twist its meaning by thinking that it's totally wrong to have any love for self. I want to spend a little bit of time today in looking at some of these passages. The Apostle Paul has several statements which on the surface would make us think that he had a horrible view of himself. He seems to run himself down. For example, look at Romans 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And then down in verse 24 of the same chapter, Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now, I wish we had time this morning to deal extensively with these verses from Paul, but I'm going to save that until another time, another sermon. When we understand fully what Paul felt, we can rest assured that he did have a wholesome attitude about himself in spite of what these verses seem to say. But look at another passage and several other passages with me. The other verses would seem to indicate that we should have no love at all for ourselves. Luke 9:23 says, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. But perhaps the strongest verse that I know of, which seems to indicate we're not to love ourselves, is found in Luke 14, 26. Jesus said, If any man would come to me 
and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, that's pretty strong, you say. Where does that leave me? With Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, where Jesus says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Am I to love myself? Yes. In spite of all these passages we've just read, there's not one shred of evidence to indicate that Jesus saw us only as worthless, created things that God placed here on earth. When Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, that we're to hate some people, even our own lives also, this term does not mean animosity, hostility, or hatred as we usually think of it. Doesn't the Bible teach us that the more we love God, the more we can love each other? A man should love his children, not provoke them to wrath. A son should love his father. What Jesus is really saying here is not that we should have hatred in our hearts. That would be against everything that Jesus ever preached, lived, taught, or exemplified in his own life. Jesus is saying here that our loyalty and obedience and submission and commitment to Jesus Christ must be so superior to him above all other loyalties and allegiances that those who love us and those whom we may love may at sometimes even interpret that we hate them because we've chosen Jesus over them. This may bring pain and suffering to them. This passage has nothing to do with the person's self-worth. Can you think of any occasions in the life of our Lord when he ever downgraded another person or their worth as an individual? When Jesus said that we're to love our neighbor as ourself, we can remember that he showed us how this works in several of his teachings, dealings with others. The parable of the Good Samaritan, for example. Here was a story of one who was truly a neighbor, not because he lived next door to this man, because he didn't, but because he showed mercy on the one in need. He showed love. Look at the story of Zacchaeus. You remember that. Here was a little man up a tree in more ways than one. Without friends, nobody liked him because he was a hated tax collector. But when Jesus passed that way, he stopped, looked up at Zacchaeus and said, Zac, come on down. I'm going to your house today. I believe that man was so excited and thrilled that somebody like Jesus would even give him the time of day he didn't climb down from that tree. He just melted and oozed down, I think. That old hardened heart, which before could see only money, now saw what it meant to be loved. Oh, what a difference. Or look at another example, Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus went through Samaria, which others would not even do if they were Jews. And then when this Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus actually spoke to her of all things. Whoa, what a shock. Ed, that just was not done. He gave her a new worth because of a genuine love and concern for her as a person. Remember blind Bartimaeus? Here was this man, blind, a beggar. There were plenty of those kind of folks around Jesus' day. They didn't care much about those who were physically handicapped as we do today. He had to get out and beg in order to live. Jesus was literally on his way to the cross when he met Bartimaeus, but he stopped to heal him.
finally the thief on the cross. You remember Jesus spoke to the one who was also a nobody. What was that man's name? Nobody knows. But Jesus said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. All these people were outcasts, nobodies, lowest of the low in the eyes of most people. But Jesus proved by his actions that they were all of worth and value to God. The Bible says that God loves all of us. How then can we fail to love what God loves? Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? My dear friends, God thinks that you were worth dying for. If God loves you, then you have no legitimate right not to love yourself. When you think about loving yourself, you get all these negative ideas such as, oh, you shouldn't love yourself. You ought to be pious and humble. If you're humble, you won't love yourself. Well, that's hogwash. If you don't love yourself, you're not humble. You're just plain ignorant of the scripture. And there's nothing pious about that. We are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to love ourselves. But somehow, down through the years, self-love has been considered to be egotism, pride, arrogance, self-centeredness, and a preoccupation with self. When Jesus spoke about loving ourselves, he did not mean that at all. What then did Jesus mean? Let's look at another example from the scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, you'll see there that here's a man uh, who's supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Wow, that's strong language. You mean we're to love a wife just like Jesus loved the church? Well, he's to love his wife like he loves himself. Love for oneself means to reverence oneself. As a child of God, whatever God loves, I ought to love. This does not mean carnal self-centeredness. It means rather that since God created me for himself, since God created me for fellowship with himself, since God created me to glorify him, since God created me to fulfill his plans and purposes through me, since Jesus Christ came to earth to die for me, since God's Holy Spirit indwells me, since His Spirit is continually working with me, since Jesus Christ has a special, unique, personal plan for my life that is unlike all other plans in the world for anybody else, therefore, I ought to love myself and take care of myself as you ought to love yourself and take care of yourself. There have been times in our lives when we have heard about churches that have been burned tragically with suspected arson. What would you think of a person who would come into the place where you worship, wherever that might be your church, at night and, set, and not set fire to anything, but take red or black paint 
and paint obscene words all over the pulpit and the choir rail and all over the walls. Atrocious, you'd say. If you could catch that person, you'd have that fellow under the jail right quick. Well, to mistreat oneself in the eyes of God is far more serious and sinful than to mistreat wood and plaster which can be replaced. What makes us special is the fact that God is living in us through His Holy Spirit. And wherever God lives, that is precious. That means that every one of us is worth something to God. We are valuable to Him. My dear friend, I've got some good news for you today. You are somebody. And that's not conceit or arrogance or pride. That's reverence and the acceptance of the fact that God has made you special. Yes, it's right to love yourself. There's a little song by Bill Gaither in which a father sings to his daughter and son. And this message, I think, is not just for little children. Adults can profit from this, too, if they have an ear to hear. I'm not going to sing it, but the, the words go like this. When Jesus sent you to us, we loved you from the start. You were just a little bit of sunshine from heaven to our hearts. Not just another baby, because since the world began, there's been something very special for you in His plan. That's why He made you special. You're the only one of your kind. God gave you a body and a bright, healthy mind. He had a special purpose that He wanted you to find. So He made you something special. You're the only one of your kind. And then the little boy sings the next part. I have a little sister who is not at all like me. She can write a lovely poem, but I can climb a tree. And then the little sister sings these words. My brother, though he's different with freckles on his nose, when my questions needed answers, he's the one who knows. That's why I'm something special. I'm the only one of my kind. God gave me a body and a bright, healthy mind. My daddy mows the backyard. My mama makes the bed. My brother cleans the playroom. I see our dog gets fed. And each one needs the other to help him through the day. And love must be the reason God planned it just that way. Isn't that beautiful? That's great. And that's the concept that God intends for us to have for ourselves. You are the only one of your kind. You want me to prove that? Just look around. There's nobody else here in this place of worship this morning who's just exactly like you. If you could see all the billions of people on this earth, the same would be true. There's nobody else exactly like you, and God loves you just as much as He loves any other person on the face of this earth. He wants you to get that, get to get His love into your heart so that your own love of yourself can be that which proves He loves you. God wants you to reach the maximum that you're capable of becoming. Only when you can recognize your self-worth and love yourself properly can that come to pass. All right. What are we going to do this next week about this? Maybe the place where you need to start is by saying to yourself, I love me without the need to feel any guilt or shame. If God's going to do with you what He wants to do with you this week, then you must love yourself in the right manner. 
When you come to the place where you can love yourself and feel good about yourself, then you will have love to give to somebody else. You see, you'll be giving them what you have. When you give that other person an expression of your love this week, what will you be saying? You're saying, you are worth something. There are people out there all around us who are yet so starved for love, somebody to love and care for them, who feel so unloved, that if somebody were to walk up to them and give them a bear hug and say, my friend, I just want you to know that I love you. Well, many of them probably just die away in a faint right there on the spot. But somebody needs your love, whether you express it that way or however you express it. When you come to a proper sense of love for yourself, then you can say, yes, it is well with my soul. This is what God wants for you. And only then can you share that love with those around you. Jesus said, the second commandment is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh God, when we sing now, it is well with my soul. Help us to realize that it can be totally well with our soul when we accept the love that Jesus has for us and know that we can love others because he first loved us. Thank you for your great love, Lord, which we have experienced through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.